responsively. First time, piano only. Second time, singers only. Third time, congregation. The refrain is, God, show us your love. Show us your love and mercy. You were gracious to your land, O God. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the offensive people and pardoned all their sin. You drew back all your displeasure and turned from your fiery wrath. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your just anger towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that people may rejoice in you? Let me hear what you will say, O God, for you will speak peace to your people to the faithful who turn their hearts to you. Surely salvation is near those who fear you, and your glory will dwell in our land. Mercy and faithfulness will meet. Justice and peace will embrace. Faithfulness will spring up from the earth, and righteousness look down from heaven. You, O oh God, will give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness will go before you, and the paths of your feet will be peace. The scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. A reading from the Good News according to Matthew. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountains by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against it. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, 
Command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, <coughs> saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to have Wendy back reading after a while absent. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit here today, that these human words might carry your living word, a word that brings order to chaos, the word that calms the storms of our living, the word that brings us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you recall last week, Jesus has fed 5,000 hungry bellies by multiplying low five loaves and two fish. And once everybody is satisfied, Jesus sends them all home, and he sends his disciples on a boat ahead to go to across the Sea of Galilee to their next destination. And it's smooth sailing at first, but in the middle of the night, though, a storm assaults the ship threatening to bust it apart. And you know, this has happened before. A few chapters earlier, it happened before. The problem is that last time Jesus stood up and told the storm to shut up. And it did. But this time, Jesus is safely on shore behind them. And they are as far from safe dry land as can be. Now, we're told here that the wind was against them. The wind was against them. I mean, there's two levels here. There's the literal storm on the surface, the storm that's battering the disciples. But throughout history, interpreters have also understood this as a figurative storm as well. The church that Matthew's gospel was addressed to found itself caught up in a strong gale of persecution. The surrounding culture, both pagan Romans and fellow Jews, were suspicious. Persecution came at them hard like the wind, easily throwing their lives and their communities off course, sometimes threatening violence and even death. Courage in the face of the storm may have been easy the first time around in the reassuring presence of Jesus, but now, post-Easter, post 
Easter, the post-Easter church would have to face the storms of persecution without him physically standing there and personally silencing the sea. So there is this figurative sense, the figurative storm. Now, few of us are threatened by nasty nautical weather in the same way. Um, And while there are Christians throughout the world that face discrimination and religious persecution, the winds against us are of a far gentler sort. But the cultural winds are there, and they're ready to blow us off track. This past week in the newsletter, church newsletter, I shared an article from the Atlantic Monthly called The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. And it's on the massive decline in church attendance in the past few decades that was accelerated greatly by COVID. And there are a lot of reasons for this, of course, you know, and many of the reasons are the church's own fault. The church has failed in so many ways. We've become very aware of our failures, but a recent survey gets much more ordinary, boring reasons. Our friend Tony Robinson, commenting on the article, he summarizes the article as follows. He says, there just isn't time or energy for church. People in my generation, Tony is 75, say something like this about their adult children, they're so busy. Well, that may be true. Busyness is not so much a root of the problem, Tony says, as a symptom of it. Work has expanded to fill more and more of our lives. A newish term that helps explain what's up is self-optimization. Self-optimization is the idea that you are to be making The most of your time, your skills, and your life every minute of every single day. Should you have children, you must see that their days are filled with experiences that advance their skills, experiences and prospects, sports, fitness, wellness, education, degrees, technical skill acquisition, with constant updates and upgrades, networking, even therapy. These can all be strategies for self-optimization. But the church, Tony says, not so much. If the prevailing ethic of American society is self-optimization, church is not an obvious strategy. Not only are churches not tickets for advancement or self-optimization, churches tend to want stuff from you. So there's the math problem. The ads to your life are not obvious while the subtracts are. And I mean, you can insert Canada here in the place of America. Well, at one time, church was a relatively easy proposition. The cultural winds are against us. Church is a hard thing for us to commit to. I mean, I'm paid to be here, and I find it hard to commit to church. Church is a hard thing for, to commit to. Our culture is so geared to individual, professional, and financial success and accomplishment, self-optimization, that it leaves little space for an institution whose primary symbol is a cross, a sacrifice, 
where its founder instructs us to take up our cross and follow. It's easy to be blown off course or for us to sink altogether because the prevailing winds of our culture are blowing constantly and fully. Now, at this point, I might dial up the guilt, okay, and tell everybody here that we need to redouble our efforts, be more committed, try harder, and this is probably true. We could all do a lot more to do good and to be good. This is all true, me included. I am not the disciple of Jesus that I should be. But that's not really gospel. It's not really good news, is it? I mean, it's not particularly inspiring to say, the winds are blowing really hard, just soldier on indefinitely until, I don't know, you die. No. Back to our story. Back to our story. The thing is that the moment when they're the furthest from the sea, the night is darkest, and the storm blows its strongest, that's where Jesus shows up. He comes striding in across the sea. My dad used to call, you know, flip-flops, the things that you wear to the beach, J.C. water walkers, you know. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ water walkers. Here comes Jesus striding in, walking on the sea. And they think that he's a ghost, right? But he speaks to them words of deep assurance. Take heart, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, our translation doesn't quite get at everything he says. He's literally saying, take heart because I am. Take heart, I am. Jesus is invoking the name that God disclosed to Moses when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? I am. Not only that, but numerous times in the Old Testament, God is pictured as walking on water, just strolling along the uncontrollable Seas, take heart, Jesus says, because the creator of the universe himself is in your midst. Trust me, I've got this. Be not afraid. Trust me, I've got this. Be not afraid. I am. I am with you. Perhaps the greatest thing we need as the church is confidence. Confidence, not only that there is a God, I am, but the God we've got is the one who reaches out to us in the midst of the storm. We've got a God who is only to be found on some mountaintop that we have to climb a ladder to get to, but one who comes to us in our hour of greatest terror and our deepest need, who speaks his word of peace. Take heart, I am, be not afraid. We need confidence, not in ourselves, but in the urgency and truth of our mission in Jesus Christ we have a God who has mastered the waves and the seas of our suffering. And because of that, our fears are nothing. Our fears are unnecessary. Now, at this point, you might be nodding your head along. God, good. Jesus, good. Calm storm, also good. But you don't need church to believe any of that, do you? I mean, the good news is, is like, you know, it's, uh, it's out there. 
their infinite trilobites of video podcasts and blog articles that teach all about Christianity. Seeing as how the cultural wind is against it, it's hard to make time to be somewhere every Sunday morning and possibly more. So no, why not just ride the wave? I can be a personal faith without all that other stuff. Which may be true. It may be true. But the truth, other truth is that we can only go so far on our own. There's only so far that our own personal faith will take us. You know, Jesus is out standing on the sea, and there's Peter, his right-hand man, favored disciple, if there's any such thing. If it's really you, Peter says, then command me to walk out on the water to you. Command me to walk out on the water to you if it's really you. I mean, first, I mean, things are looking really good faith-wise. I mean, Peter knows who Jesus is. Peter's got a surge of confidence. He trusts that he can walk on water. Yes, I can. Yes, I think I can. I think I can. He's like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And you know what? He does. We're told he does. He takes, Jesus has come and he takes two steps forward and he's just standing out there on the sea, just like Jesus. But suddenly, the wind picks up again. The wind picks up again. Peter loses his footing, and he begins to sink. Lord, save me, he cries. The fact is that we're likely to take two steps out on our own, and then the storm's going to pick up again. Whether it's the cultural pressure out there, or whether it's some kind of hurt, death, tragedy, or struggle in our lives, it's going to hit us again. The storm will blow again. And we'll find ourselves up a certain, certain creek without a paddle. The fact is that I do not have it in me to swim against the whirlpool of life. I do not have it within me. Peter, number one disciple, the rock on which Jesus said he would build his church, sunk. I do not have it in me. We do not have it in us. My only faith, my own faith can only take me so far before the wind kicks up again. Two steps and then sinking. This is where the church comes in. This is where the church comes in. When Peter cries out, Jesus reaches in to rescue him. You have little faith, Jesus says. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And the answer is, of course, the storm. The storm hit, so I doubt. I lost it all. And then I started to sink. Notice, though, what Jesus does next. He doesn't raise Peter back up on the scene. He's like, hey, just if only you had more faith, just you could just stand there longer. He, and then he just, and he doesn't pick him up and say, and, you know, whip him and throw him to the other side of this, the shore. No, he doesn't do either of these things. Jesus drops him back in the boat, the boat that is being battered by the sea. And not only does he drop him in the boat, he joins them in there with the rest of the disciples. This is when the storm stops and the whole crew 
all bow down on one knee and say, Professor Faith, this is the first time anybody ever says it in Matthew's gospel, truly this is the Son of God. Remember how the storm isn't just a storm. Well, the boat isn't just a boat either. It's also a symbol of the church, the body of Christ, the community of faith. This is why the World Council of Churches, as you can see on the screen, the largest body of global churches has the boat with a cross-shaped mast as its logo. So the why the part of the church that you're, you can sort of see it, the part of the church that you're sitting in with all the pews is called the nave, you know. We load the ship up every Sunday when we gather for worship. The church, it's called the nave after navy. <laughs> the church is the vessel of salvation. We're just going to skip. I have a quote coming up next. We're going to skip it because I dropped it, but then forgot to drop it from the, from the PowerPoint. And you don't need to, me to read another, another quote. It's not the church itself, but who's found in the church that makes the difference. And it's Jesus. The storm ceases once Jesus gets in the boat with them. The Jesus who calms the storm of the sea is the same Jesus who promises at the end of the same gospel to be with his disciples until the end of the age. The same Jesus who said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there among them by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the church, Jesus promises to be present with the proclamation of the good news in the sacraments of water, bread, and wine. The church is where Jesus promises to be. It's not the only place he is, but it's the place where you can see and touch and know him in the presence of other people. It's where, here that we get our positive assurance of safety. Like the ark preserving Noah and his family from the flood, the church is, to mix nautical metaphors a little bit, our safe harbor in the storms of life. One where our faith is nourished and sustained in the faces, face of white caps of doubt, doubling persecution that threaten to drag us down into the deep. And plunking Peter back in the boat and enjoining him and the rest of the disciples there, Jesus is pointing ahead to the church as the location of his ongoing presence in a world of threatening chaos to love and serve each other, to encourage each other as they sail through life's storms. In the same way, Jesus has heard your cries, my cries, our cries, and has plucked us up and brought us together as the church, as a safe harbor in the face of soul-sinking doubt. This is why we gather for worship every Sunday. This is why we gather together in community, because we know that each week, we know that each week we take two steps. We go Monday, Tuesday, and then start to sink on our own. Because the truth is, we can't do this faith thing. We can't really do any of it on our own. I know I can't. 
Not only does life itself toss me to and fro, the cultural winds are against us and we don't have the strength to endure ourselves. Because we know that without constantly hearing the promises of God over and over and over again, all that wind is all it takes for me to find myself in Davy Jones' locker at the bottom of the sea. But the church, even with all of its imperfections and its disappointments, we are human, we are sinners. The sign outside says, church is full of hypocrites and there's room for one more. Like the boat has unlimited seating. It's not the only place God is, but the community where we hear Jesus' words, I am, be not afraid, over and over again. The words that we speak, we heard spoken to us, the words that we speak to each other. You belong to me, you are mine, and on account of even that, even the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Which is to say, the church is worth it. Because it's where we gather to receive the grace to keep our heads above water and to cling to faith in a difficult, sometimes hostile world and to know that our Peter-like cries for mercy are heard by one who promises to drag us out of the depths of despair, where we're encouraged by each other and buoyed up by the power and presence of the living God because it's just where Jesus said, he would be. How can we cling to faith in the headwinds of a hostile, difficult world of doubt? How can we avoid sinking, Peter-like, into the depths of despair? Well, by getting back in the boat, which is to say by returning the community of Christ over and over and over again until we reach that blessed shore where the storms blow no more. I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
please remain standing as we will turn our hearts uh, to the good news of God's grace as summarized in the United Church of Canada's new creed. Let's say it together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. <laughs> 